Father, we thank you that you are a good, good Father, that you are faithful, that you are loving, that you are kind, that you are for us, not against us. You are abundant and steadfast love, slow to anger. for the peace and the grace that you pour out on us. And we thank you that you are our salvation. It is through you and you alone. Father, so we today pray that we glorify you and elevate you to where you belong. done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We thank Ken and Lauren and, and Jeremiah again for leading us today in worship. It's not a bad turnout for an event going on right after this. So women that are going to the uh, soiree, I am going to try and fly through this to get you out of here on time with it. So you guys don't have to feel like you have to leave early. And uh, That's why Jen's not up here. She just slowed me down. Just kidding. <laughs> no, no. She needed, a, she needed a, a break after being up here two weeks in a row on her own. I tried to talk her into letting me sit out another week, but she said no. Yes. So, yeah, so it's me today. Um, I, I'm going to do this real quick. I love taking breaks from being up here, especially when I feel like I'm not, you know, as connected to the Lord or whatever. So it was nice to sit back and just kind of get filled with it. And so uh, it was funny. The first week that Jen was up there, I was still like, there's so much going on in my head, so there was nothing. The second week, then it was like, especially with her message in the second week, Lord started like feeding me again with stuff, and I'm like, oh, cool. I'm, uh, like I said the other day, I feel like I'm uh, reloaded now. And so today is going to be a little bit of uh, firing at you guys, just a bit, myself included. Actually, as I was going through this, I'm like, oh, wow, this is why. So Jen's message is, the last couple of weeks have been kind of about captivating your thoughts or taking captive your thoughts. Um, and so one of the things that kind of came up was, I feel like sometimes we think to take our thoughts captive is to hold on to them, like never let them go. And then we end up dwelling on them. But I found a definition of captive that I really like. It's held under control of another, but having the appearance of independence. And it was cool. I was like, oh yeah, holding it under control. So to take captive is to to control the thought more so. And the Greek words used in uh, Luke 21, 24, Romans 7, 23, and 2 Corinthians 10, 5, which talks about taking your thoughts captive, is the Greek word to subjugate or take control. It's the only three times it's used in the New Testament. And they're always talking about kind of like a war, a battle to take captive. And so when we do, we're supposed to, when we take our, our thoughts captive, we're to control them, not just hold on to them. 
Because when we control our thoughts, like our thoughts, we talked about this on Wednesday night too, our, our thoughts lead to action. So if we hold on to a negative thought, well, guess what's going to happen? A negative action is going to come out. And so Craig Rochelle from his book, Winning the War in Your Mind, says the law of exposure says that the mind absorbs and reflects what, is, what it is exposed to the most. Basically, if we allow a thought into our minds and we keep dwelling on it, it will come out in our lives if not controlled. And the reason why it's so important that we take control of those thoughts is we then wield the power of them. Like Jen said last week, too, when uh, she was talking about, you know, whenever you feel like you're not worthy, you go, yeah, of course I'm not worthy. That's why Jesus came down and, you know, thank God he did and he chose us and now I am worthy because of him. You know, me, myself, by myself, I'm not worthy. So when we control our thoughts, we're able to start to renew our mind. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 talk about that. And Ephesians 4, through 24 says, You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. But it seems like half the time we kind of put back on our old old self clothes, right? And so it got me thinking, like, why is that so hard? Why is it so hard to, to, to control our thoughts, to take them captive? And I felt like the Lord was like, it's not that it's hard. You're actually just taking hold of the wrong thoughts. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, what are you talking about? And we're not taking control of the thoughts or taking captive of the thoughts of the enemy has spoken to us. We take thought, uh, captive the thoughts that we speak to ourselves, the lies we tell ourselves. And so I'm like, oh, okay. And then this whole like message kind of just fell together. We've all heard of the armor of God, right? In Ephesians 6, hopefully. Do you put it on? How many of you put on the armor of God? All right. Are you sure? Those who have put on the armor of God, do you still have problems? Do you still get attacked? Do you feel like you're beaten up constantly to the ground, sometimes like even just under the enemy's control? Let me ask you a question. Does the armor of God ever fail? So if we put on the armor of God and the armor of God never fails, why are we still having such big problems in our lives? Maybe it's because... Well, let's get back to that for a second. Let's skip that. Um, how many of you actually know what the armor of God is? Right? We, we do. Right? We've read it. So we, we know it. But are we sure? Because I think a lot of us are walking around thinking we have on the helmet of salvation. And in reality, we're kind of just walking around with a tinfoil hat. Right? Let's... Let's start from the beginning. Ephesians 6 talks about having girded your loins with the truth. Do we actually know what that means? Like, I had to look it up because I honestly didn't. I was like, I was, I was like, what do you, girdle? How do you make a girdle out of a belt? Like, it didn't make much sense. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay, actually kind of makes sense. What it is, it was just kind of tucking the robe up in a way and tying it so it kind of comes up and it looks like a diaper, basically. It's so that if you're going to battle or anything or, or you're getting ready to serve or do something, you don't get tripped up by your robe, doesn't get caught on something. It symbolizes preparation, readiness to serve, and protection. Because 
for most people, this area is very sensitive and exposed, and so we want to make sure that that's covered. And actually, in the Old Testament, that was the only part of the body that actually was required to be covered most of the time. That's why you see like loincloths and hear about those. So if we're to be girded with truth, and girded means to be prepared or ready to serve or protected, are we prepared with truth? Are we protected by truth? And what is the truth that we are girding ourselves in? Now, it should be, you know, God's word, what he says about us. And it, it also means to be like, are we ready through the truth? Like, are we truly ready? Are we ready to lose our job for our faith? Are we ready to lose our comfort for our faith? Are we ready to lose our freedoms for our faith? Because we hear a lot about that lately. And are we ready to lose our life for our faith? And it's okay, I don't, I, it's okay if you're not. Because I don't think, that, that's something, that's why we meditate on scripture for a lifetime, is to get to that point. But if we're not ready to lose any of those things, let's not pretend that we are girding ourselves in truth. In reality, we're girding ourselves in a lie that's going to unravel when we go into battle, and it's going to trip us up. So all of these things, the armor of God, if we are not careful and we, we pretend that we are ready when we're not, the enemy is just sitting back going, oh, this is going to be easy. Right? Breastplate. What's a breastplate do? It shows and it protects, right? Like, that's why all the superheroes, they have their logo on there. It's, it's showy. The, uh, the breastplate that the priests wore had all the stones to remind them of the, the 12 tribes. So it, it's to show, it's to keep close to our heart, but it's also to protect. Because the things that we keep closest to our heart are the things that we um, really try and protect the most, right? Now... A breastplate is supposed to protect the heart. And why is that important? Because that's where, that's where our morals are. It's to keep our heart pure and protected, to stay with God's standard, and, and it's his righteousness that protects our heart. So we have that breastplate on to protect our morality with it. But how many of us still have immoral issues in our lives? Do we have sexual sin, promoting or or permitting lustful thoughts or actions, dishonesty, dishonoring, divisiveness, greed, idolatry. How many of us have things that we put before God often? What we keep close to our heart is what we try and protect most. And so if, if we're all works in progress, right? So if we think we have that breastplate of righteousness on, but oftentimes we have the breastplate of self-righteousness or the breastplate of justification on. And I know I've been, I've been guilty of that several times. The shoes. Most of you shod your feet with the swoosh of Nike, not so much the gospel of peace, right? Well, there's a lot of people that put a lot of energy and time into what shoes they're going to wear with their outfit. Jean's one of them, apparently. <laughs> and we've all heard the story of Roman shoes. Like, they had the spikes, you know, it's all this. They had the spikes so that they can crush the enemy, they can hold their ground. Um, and shod does mean to bind under one's feet, to tie to, to be knit to, um, to be one with. But the gospel of, of 
peace or the good news of peace or the good news of shalom, what does that really mean to, to shod our feet with that? Now remember, peace or shalom is more than just peace. It's completeness, it's wholeness, it's harmony. I mean, think of the Garden of Eden. That was, that was God's peace right there. Everything was perfect. Everything was whole. There was nothing that was needed. So to bind our feet with that means that we are walking in that peace, bringing the good news, imitating that shalom. So everything we do should show believers and non-believers that peace. We should imitate Jesus. We should lead like Jesus, letting our work, everything that we do, be a testimony to him. Because peace is really the only way to be violent to the enemy. We can't out-violent the enemy. He doesn't play by rules. So the only way that we can actually have success against the enemy is by promoting and living in a peaceful way. So shotting our feet in the preparation of the gospel of peace is hard work. I mean, how many of us go about our lives with everything we do being wrapped in peace? That's why most of us shot our feet in flip-flops and roll out the door, right? You know, there are several types of shields. Probably the most iconic one is Captain America's, right? But the kind of shield that you use will actually be determined by your faith. And the kind of shield you use will determine your ability to protect yourself. So your shield of faith is only as big as your faith is. And that shield's supposed to walk, uh, protect us from the flaming arrows of the evil one. Do you think a little shield is going to protect you from the flaming arrows of the evil one? You read about the shields of, of the Roman army and all that stuff. There's different types of shields, but the shield that most people think that Paul's talking about are these huge ones, almost like the size of a door. Symbolic of a door. Who else do we know is symbolic of a door? Jesus, right? He's also been called our shield as well. So it takes great faith to carry a big shield, and it's going to take a lot of work and effort and a lot of sacrifice that many of us aren't willing to do. We spend more time trying to find the hacks to faith than actually developing faith. And that's just indicative of our, of our world. We try and hack everything, right? I do that bulletproof coffee. I try and hack my diet with some of that stuff. So we start to look for the cool, the fancy, the lightweight, the magical Captain America shield when really we should be strengthening ourselves to carry the biggest shield possible. And so I just challenge you to remember that your shield, the, your protection is only going to be as strong and as big as your faith is in Jesus. And what he tells us about him, who he is, that he died on the cross for us. And I think it's, it's often hard because we don't always see the fruit of that. I think most of us would agree that most of our battles are won or lost in our minds. Right? There's books on, I think uh, Joyce Myers has one, Battlefield of the Mind. 
This is why the helmet of salvation is so important. It protects us not just from the enemy, but also from ourselves. We are saved through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It is this knowledge, this identity that our salvation is not by our own doing, but through God's faithfulness to us. This is also where we start with that renewed in the mind. If you go to uh, Romans 12, it starts out, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, all the other stuff. How many of us struggle with identity? And we have different, different seasons in our life where identity is, is harder to, uh, to remain in Christ and instead we let the, the world kind of start dictating that, right? And I think it's because we believe just saying that we, that we believe Jesus died on the cross is enough. It's enough to put on that helmet of salvation and it will protect us from the enemy. But we don't really have the helmet of salvation on because we really don't believe in God's faithfulness, at least not all the time. We allowed the world to dissipate our awe and wonder of God. He's not powerful, right? Why are we having problems? If he's so powerful, why are you struggling? Why, why do you have issues in your life? Why isn't everything nice and smooth and fun? Or we think that God's will is like some hidden treasure map that we have to like decode like we're Nicolas Cage in, in National Treasure. God's will isn't that. He does have a plan for our lives, but it's not hidden from us. It's not like we have to go through and, okay, I got to go. I, if, I, if I fork left here, I, you know, then Lord, where do I go here? It's, it's not that. His plan for you is, is much simpler than we think it is. He doesn't care if you're a doctor or a lawyer. He said, how can you glorify me as a doctor or a lawyer? He doesn't care what school we go to. He doesn't care if you become a pastor. Right? We, we can preach the gospel anywhere. We don't need a title. We don't need a, a certificate behind our name you know, to, to do any of that stuff. We don't have to be gifted with a great voice to worship. So we walk around with our tinfoil hat on expecting that to save us and protect us from the onslaught of the enemy or even from our own lies. The word of God, it's a sword, right? The word of God is a sword and we wield it. And you see so many sermons talk about like the size of the sword, you know, because it's up close and personal. Um, but I think when we think about the, the word of God as an actual weapon that we wield, I think we take away some of the power behind it. Because then we think we wield it, that the power comes from us using it. And in reality, we don't use the word. The word uses us. Does God need us? Are we necessary? No. So Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. The word is living and active, which means it doesn't need us. We are just the vessel it uses. It is through us that the gospel is preached. It is through us that God is glorified. It is through us that the forces of darkness find resistance. It is through us, but not because of us. 
And just think about God being glorified. Are we necessary for God to be glorified? What does it say in Luke when, when Jesus was coming into uh, in during uh, Passover week? And the, and the Pharisees told Jesus to tell his people to be quiet. He said, if they are silent, the rocks would scream out. God will be glorified. Does it need us? No. Can we be a part of it? Yes. So the word of God is a weapon, but not how we think. When we are under attack, we often think about, oh, I need to find the right verse to combat this, right? It's not a Harry Potter spell. We don't have to find the right anti-spell to combat it, right? It's not, it's not the words themselves. It's, the, it's because who said them, who spoke them, that matters. In fact, it's the word of God that makes it powerful because it is, is from him, right? So that is why people actually get hurt. Because we are using the word of God against people when it's supposed to either use to transform our own hearts or to use against the enemy. It's powerful. And we don't know how to wield it. And so oftentimes, we are a part of the problem because we wield that sword haphazardly. And we end up cutting you know, our friends, our family, people that we're trying to save because we're using it as a weapon against them instead of against the enemy. It's why we're supposed to meditate on it, to transform our hearts and renew our minds. So we have the full armor of God, and we think about a Roman soldier when we, when we do it. We always think about a Roman soldier, right? Like, does anybody else think of anything else other than a Roman soldier when they talk about the armor of God? It's been like ingrained in us, ingrained in us, ingrained in us. But let's go back to the verses uh, in chapter 6 in Ephesians 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in this heavenly places. Let me ask you something. Does a Roman soldier, the gear of a Roman soldier, or even a Navy SEAL, can that protect us against the powers, against, uh, the world forces of darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places? No. So why do we always think of it as a Roman soldier? Maybe we should be thinking of it more as priestly attire. If you go back into Exodus, what did the priests have to wear? They had a turban, the gold plate on it, like a helmet of salvation. They had a breastplate. They had a belt, a sash, a girdle. Priests did not wear shoes, but they walked in peace. And they still spoke God's word as a weapon. And if we think about it, isn't that how Jesus came? He didn't come attacking people. He didn't come as some, you know, SEAL Team 6 guy. He didn't come as a Roman soldier coming to, to, to face battle against earthly things. So if we really are wanting to, to go against the forces of, of darkness and the, the evil spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, shouldn't we, shouldn't we think of it more from a, a priestly attire aspect? than from a, a soldier. The armor of God doesn't fail. We fail to put it on because it's easier for us to put on a replica of it. 
Christians are walking around in a costume and target practicing with a few of their favorite verses, thinking they are ready for battle. It's why we fail so often to live up to God's standard for ourselves. We don't want to put in the work because we have other things to do. So we put on our costume and we think we are covered. The other reason we don't want to put on that armor of God is it's heavy. And Paul tells us we're running a race. Do you want to run a race with the gear of a Roman soldier on? So we focus on the race itself instead of where we're, whether we're actually going to make it to the end. Because I guarantee you it is much easier to run your race in full armor and not get beaten down by the enemy every step of your journey than it is to walk with your replica on and every three steps gets chopped down to the knees. So let's not pretend, let's not fool ourselves any longer. We all have problems, we all have issues, our faith is weak. It's when we tell ourselves it's not that we are susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. When we know we are weak, God's strength protects us. When we know we, we can't do it alone, God's armor is there to protect us. When we believe the word of God and Jesus who came, regardless of our earthly situation, we are wearing the armor of God. So, because I flew through this, which is amazing for me, we have 10 minutes left before 11.30, we're going to take a couple minutes. And I just want you to, to think about what part of the armor of God do you most deceive yourself with? Are we walking around pretending to be some moral upright authority when we have hidden sin in our lives? that we're not dealing with? Do we not truly believe that we are saved through grace? And so we're constantly doubting ourselves, our salvation, whether God can, can save us or not because of our past sins. Do we walk around girded in truth or are we girded in our own reality? And finally, are we walking around with the gospel of peace shotted to our feet? Are we doing everything we can to promote heaven on earth, to be heaven on earth? Or do we do it until we run into problems, until we don't get our way? As long as everything's going our way, it's easy to be peaceful. So we'll take a few minutes I want you guys just to ponder that thought and then we'll go into a time of worship.